Once upon a time, biology believed that every single animal contained a spirit, or an essence of some kind. This essence made them what they were, and it was unique to that species alone. A red fox would have a red fox essence, and a blue whale would have a blue whale essence, and so on and so forth. But thanks to Charles Darwin, we now understand that all animals are interlinked, and continuously changing and evolving, instead of being forged from a perfect, fixed, unique essence. But there's one kind of essence that I have suspicion might actually exist. I call it the essence of storytelling, and it glows only inside of Homo sapiens. One of these Homo sapiens is incredibly fascinated with the essence found inside of him, and so has been exploring the story of our stories, uncovering reasons why the storytelling essence emerged, and uncovering implications that it has on society. This Homo sapiens name is Dr. Hunter Hatfield. Once you sort of have this idea, you start seeing it everything. You just, I've discovered narrative medicine, narrative legal studies, narrative economics, uh, narrative therapy. I don't know, <laughs> David Field. Uh, you know, the word history is just story out of a different etymology. So yeah, everything is, is narrative in a sense. Basically, I think of a story as having five or six elements space, you're, you're in a location, and time. Because for a story to happen, you have to have some sort of past and present or present and future or something like that. Causality, so we can make things happen. Related to causality, of course, is going to be the effect, but in particular, having some sort of goal. So we want to do something. Yeah. And then in a sense, us. Uh, so the protagonist, the hero, and typically as well, it's usually a group of people with one person kind of as the perspective. And those things together are what I think of as stories. An acacia tree sways in the breath of the ancient African savanna. Lounging in its branches, you and I wait, sheltered in the shade. We've been here for hours, waiting and waiting. But the plan between us is taught. When a herd of gazelle or antelope pass beneath the canopy, we will release it. You will pounce from our hiding place and spare one of the prey, and I will remain tall and steady, watching out over the area nearby for our predators. For this to work, you must be strong, and I must be vigilant, or we may meet the same fate we are attempting to inflict. This is our plan. And it's essentially a story. The niche that humans found was being able to, as a group, move through space and time. It sounds weird to say it that way, but you know, things like scavenging, hunting, uh, finding materials for making tools, stuff like that. But critically different for, say, elephants who, of course, move through giant, giant amounts of space or something. We take on different roles. You know, to work together. You come from this side, we come from the other side, means that I have some idea of what you're going to do that's different than me, and I can make it work together. By communicating with stories, our minds meet in the same imaginative place. In the tree, we both understand where we are and where our prey will be. We understand what our actions must be and when we must do them, and we understand the effects those actions are likely to have. Most importantly though, we know what team we're on and the goal that we are trying to achieve. Strung together like this in a story sounds all 
very, very obvious, I know. But that's exactly the point. Because stories make perfect sense to us, and it is completely natural without us ever thinking about it. But once you do notice the storytelling essence, you start to see it everywhere. A child will listen to you about not going over there if they've heard a story of the last child who went over there got eaten alive, you know, whatever. That's going to scare the whatever out of them. That kind of being able to tell stories that either scare or inform depends on us having those abilities to, those ways of thinking about the world. Often the legal team, the attorneys that win, are the ones who can tell the most convincing story. You know, he did that for this reason, because he wanted to get the insurance money. He therefore set up a red herring about where he is and therefore poured the petrol over the house and set it on fire. Often the juries and judges as well um, will accept this. Probably what really happened is the most consistent, often even cathartic story we hate things where it just doesn't make sense, where we don't know why, how this fits together, even if the evidence points that way. For statistics and analytical evidence, it's an uphill battle against story. Because our essence isn't one of numbers, it's one of stories. And while sometimes that can fog our perception of reality, other times it can show us something that was previously hiding out of sight of the masses, because it was hiding in the numbers racial violence, things like that. The statistics have been showing quite clearly for decades and decades that some people are not treated as fairly as other people and the outcomes are different, but often no one seems to care about those numbers. Who cares about a slightly on a, on a bar graph, a number being a slightly higher or something? That is not, that's not motivating until you have the videotape of the horrible thing happening. And then for a while we care because that's a story. That's, that's a protagonist. They had a life to lead, they had goals, they had dreams, and here they are being unfairly, unjustly extinguished if it's that kind of violence. And that hits everything that we care about, in a sense. In the 16th century, a young boy named George was playing with a hatchet that he had been given as a gift. While doing so, he damaged one of his father's cherry trees. When his father discovered what George had done, he was furious. He confronted his mischievous son. But he said, Father, I cannot tell a lie. I did cut the cherry tree. His father quickly called and beamed with pride, rejoicing that his son's honesty was worth more than 1,000 cherry trees. And that boy was George Washington, and around 50 years later he would become one of the founding fathers and the first president of the United States. The idea of course is that your founders are honorable people who cannot tell a lie. You take that little story and you make it part of, you know, we're founded, our founding fathers are noble rebels sort of stuff. People have some sort of beliefs about the story of their country, their community, where they came from. But I think one of the reasons that these stories get repurposed is because the stories have a role within another larger story, and so you just sort of change it into what you need. I think it's important that 
like Hunter, we each look inside of ourselves and acknowledge our storytelling essence. Because tracing this essence back to our ancestors, back through all of the twisting and twining stories of humanity, is a way to understand what it is to be human. And along the way, we may uncover some hidden stories, write some new ones, or do away with old, outdated ones. But most of all, I hope that we each remember that every human on this planet shares the storytelling essence, and thus has their own story. A lot of human morality, I think, is based in treating people like stories. What I mean by that is treating people like protagonists of their story, helping them reach the goals that they have, knowing that they are part of your community and so you have to have goals that work together. Uh, and so like from a story perspective, you never want to treat a person like a tool. They are always a worthy individual in their story. 